0: I hope you have your Bibles with you this morning. If you don't or you're a guest with us at Christ Fellowship, feel free to use one of the pew Bibles uh, before you there. And I want to invite you to turn with me to two passages of Scripture to begin with this morning. The first will be in Matthew chapter 28. And the second will be actually the passage that we will work through together in 1 Peter chapter 4. First of all, in Matthew chapter... Twenty-eight, and you are very familiar uh, with these words that Jesus proclaims to his disciples. Beginning in Matthew chapter 28, verse 16. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them, and when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came, and he said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. I want to draw your attention to the words... Our Lord uttered that is to go, therefore, and make disciples. Exactly what is a disciple of Jesus Christ? This is a question that we have been considering for the past several weeks now in a series that we have entitled, Follow Me, the Adventure of Discipleship. I want to review quickly the the ground that we have covered over the last three weeks and then to move forward today. We began three weeks ago by making this statement, that disciples deny themselves, disciples take up their daily cross, and disciples follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Last week, we learned that disciples are salt and light. Today, I want to direct your attention to yet another aspect of discipleship, and I want you to see this morning that disciples are called to joyfully serve one another. I hope you have your Bibles open to that passage in 1 Peter chapter 4, and I want to have you stand to your feet as we read these verses together that we will labor over for the next few minutes. 1 Peter chapter 4 Verses 10 and 11. This is the word of the Lord. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. In order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Father, what a joy it is to serve uh, the people of God. What a joy it is to serve people in this community. And I pray that as we look at yet another aspect of di- uh, discipleship, that you would burn this reality into our hearts. And more than that, that that reality would be, would be translated to the, the, the shoe leather on our feet. That our, our hands would move forward to, to joyfully serve one another, both on this campus and in this community and all throughout the world as you give opportunity. God, you know that my heart's desire is to encourage your people this morning, to exhort your people, to admonish them so that you would receive the glory. So I pray that these words from your book would not fall on deaf ears. Rather, someone would hear the message of God's word and that they would be changed, that they would be transformed, that their priorities would be uh, totally revolutionized. I pray that that would happen to more than just one, that throughout this congregation that you would mobilize uh, an army of volunteers to do your work, both here and throughout the world, all so that Jesus would be glorified throughout the earth. And it's his, his name we pray. Amen. The title of the message this morning is The Joy of serving one another. I don't want you to miss the the crucial aspect built within the title and that is this aspect of joy. Are you finding joy in serving one another? preachers often get in trouble when they move away from their notes. This is not something that I had planned on saying, but Kyle, as Kyle and Kathy kind of smile, they didn't know I was going to say this, and their children as well. As Kyle was doing the call to worship and helping to facilitate worship this morning, leading us in worship, I thought of your family. And I thought of the, the title of this message. If you are trying to figure out if, if my words don't get through to you this morning and you're trying to to translate, to put the, the puzzle pieces together, what does it look like for someone to experience the joy of the Lord in serving one another? Just get to know Kyle and Kathy and their family. And you will see, you will experience the joy of the Lord literally exuding from their lives and from their family. And that is multiplied throughout many of the families at Christ Fellowship. And so the message I want you to hear this morning is is this, and I want to put all my cards on the table before we begin. If you are serving currently, keep up the good work. Don't give up. Keep laboring in the Lord because the promise of 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is this, that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. That's one group of people. And that's really uh, the, the majority of people at Christ Fellowship. If you're serving, keep serving. But there are another group of people who come, who enjoy church, who may not be serving currently my message to you is also a positive message and it goes something like this and I'm going to do this for more than one reason but the message is I want to encourage you to to roll up your sleeves if you are not yet involved in ministry if you're not yet involved in any aspect of ministry at Christ Fellowship I want to encourage you this morning that that today is the day to to roll up your sleeves And to get busy. And I hope that you hear a a positive theme that will echo forth from this pulpit this morning. Now Peter, in his letter, uses a few short words to drive home this crucial aspect of joyfully serving one another. Let me put it this way. The notion of a Christian who does not serve, is is not one time entertained in the pages of the New Testament. There is no such thing as a Christian who fails to serve in the body of Christ. Here is an example that many of you will relate to. Many of you follow Russell Wilson and know him to be not only an outstanding quarterback, but also an exemplary figure, a, a person who makes a difference in his community. I want you to imagine... As we, all look for, as we look forward to next year's Super Bowl victory. That's not funny, it's just the truth. <laughs> I want you to imagine that, that, that next season as training camp begins that Pete Carroll shows up, the coach of the Seattle Seahawks, and he gets ready for all his players to come onto the field. And one by one, they begin to come. He sees Richard Sherman come. He, here's something else that you might consider a pipe dream uh, Earl Thomas, all geared up. He runs out onto the field. No, he didn't retire, right? And all these great players come running onto the field. And one of the last players to come running in would be Russell Wilson. All the other players have their gear on. They're all padded up. They have their helmets. They have their their eye black. They're ready to go. And Russell Wilson comes running on the field, and he's wearing shorts and his Seahawk jersey and a pair of tennis shoes, but he's not geared up. And Coach Carroll says, Russell, where's, where's your gear? He says, oh, Coach, he says, I've decided that this year um, I'm not going to play. Is, I, I want to wear the jersey. I want to I look like a Seahawk, and I'll, I'll be at all the games. I'm going to come to all the practices, but I'm not going to play. I don't know about you, but that would be a a big disappointment for me, and it would also be a big disappointment to Coach Carroll. You see, someone who plays on the Seahawks actually... He not only puts on the uniform, but he gets in and he plays. He comes to practice. He watches game film every Sunday and some Monday nights and some Thursday nights. He gets on the field and he plays four quarters. That illustration is apropos of what it's like for a a Christ follower in the body of Christ who says to the leadership of a church, I want to wear the uniform I want to come and be involved in the church family. That is, I just want to come to Sunday morning worship, but I don't want to participate in any way, shape, or form. Like Coach Carroll would be disappointed in Russell Wilson, so too would the body of Christ. And what we're running against in America is a growing problem. It is a problem that I have seen growing up in the church that appears to be growing more, uh, more dangerous by the minute, and that is the problem of consumerism. Consumerism in the local church resists the clear teaching of Scripture. Let me define consumerism in a way that you can understand very easily. Consumerism says this. I come to church. I listen to the sermon. I stay awake during the sermon, perhaps. I talk to a few people. I go home. I rinse. I repeat. I come back and do the same thing over 52 weeks throughout the year, but notice there's no service in this model. There is no service in this model. And when Christ followers come to a local church family and refuse to participate in terms of serving one another joyfully, here's what it does practically. It puts a huge strain on the rest of those who are serving faithfully. It also puts you in a position where you actually stand in defiance of God's command to use your spiritual gifts and to build other people up in the body of Christ. A few days ago, God providentially just put a a book right on my desk. I was browsing on the pages of Amazon, and I I ran across a book that I had not yet seen written by Tom Rainer. And the title of the book is, is I Will. I Will. Probably not the most uh, grabbing title, but it's the subtitle that caught my attention. The subtitle of the book, I Will, was this, Nine Traits of the Outwardly Focused Christian. And the main theme that Tom Rainer makes in this book is this, is that many Christ followers come to the local church and they utter these words, I want I want what? I want a different worship style. I want a new church building. I want more money in the XYZ budget. I want more money in the youth budget. I want more money in the children's budget. I want more money in men's ministry, women's ministry, etc., etc. I want the pastor to preach shorter sermons. I want more topical sermons. I want more practical sermons. I want, I want, I want. Here's what Rainer says, and it's deeply challenging. He says the body of Christ needs to move from I want to I will. I will. Paul says in Philippians chapter 2, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. And so it will come as no surprise to you this morning that the specific I will that we will focus on is the I will that says, I will serve. 1 Peter chapter 4 specifically addresses this, this, this I will and shows the important responsibility that each of us have as followers or as disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to share three of them with you that surface in 1 Peter chapter 4. The first, if you want to follow along in your notes, is this, is that we are called to share our gifts You and I are called to share our gifts. Now, let me explain. God gives a variety of spiritual gifts that are to be used both in the body of Christ and in our local communities and all around the world. As such, we are called to be good stewards of the gifts, namely the spiritual gifts that God has given for us. And I want you to see four very important principles that surface in verse 10. Verse 10 says, as each of you has received a gift, use it to serve one another. The first thing I want you to see is that we must recognize the source of these gifts. You must recognize the source of your gift. Each disciple, Peter says, has received a gift. That is to say, if you're here this morning and you're a follower of Jesus and you're wondering, what is my spiritual gift? You do not need to pray to receive your gift. You do not ask to receive your spiritual gift. You do not even plead with God for a specific gift. Rather, you recognize that the source of your gift or gifts come from From God, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Each person who trusts in Christ for salvation receives at least one spiritual gift. Every boy, every girl, every man, every woman, if you are a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, the second you became a Christian, the Holy Spirit granted you graciously at least one spiritual gift your spiritual gift or your spiritual gifts are entrusted to you by the working of God's sovereign pleasure that is to say God has the final prerogative you may have known someone in previous years and perhaps it's even you who wanted a specific gift i could say that that i want the gift of mercy. Those of you that know me well know that I will never have it. It's something that God has not gifted me with. Now, that, that, that does not mean that I am not obligated to show mercy. But I do not have the mercy of, of someone like Jan Cannon, who is a very merciful. or like Betsy Weaver, who is there, so merciful. I wish I had it, but that's not one of the specific gifts that God has given to me. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 verse 11 says, "All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit, who apportions to each other each individually as he wills." That is, at a point in time, the Holy Spirit sovereignly endows every Christ follower with a gift. Hebrews 2.4 says that, While God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to His will. And so if I can put it in popular language... For those of you who are Christ followers, he has granted you with at least one spiritual gift. Some of you have many spiritual gifts. I'll put it this way. That's what you're stuck with. That's a very crude way to put it. But that is the gracious gift or those are the gracious gifts that God has given to you. And so we recognize the source of our gifts. They come from God Almighty. Secondly, I want to encourage you to remember the meaning of your gift. Remember the meaning of your gift. Back in verse 10, Peter says, As each one has received a gift. Now, I don't want to create confusion, but I do want to take a moment to, to help you to understand the meaning of the word. How many of you have heard of the charismatic movement? The charismatic movement. If you look at the word gift in verse 10, the word gift is translated from a Greek word. See if you can hear Not the word movement, but charismatic out of the Greek word. The Greek word is charizma. Charizma. The word is translated as gift of grace. As each one has received a gift of grace. That is the understanding we must have. Wayne Grudem says it like this. A spiritual gift... Is any ability that is empowered by the Holy Spirit and used in any ministry of the church. Now, with an understanding of what this gift is, this gift of grace, I want you to see in verse 11 that there are two broad categories of gifts. In verse 11, Peter says, Whoever speaks as one who speaks the oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. Here we see the two broad categories of giftedness that God has given us are, one, speaking gifts. Speaking gifts, that includes gifts like teaching and preaching and exhortation. And something that's very interesting about speaking gifts, if you don't have a speaking gift, it becomes very apparent to you. How many of you can say just in and of yourself, you say, that's not the way God has gifted me. I just... that." To get in front of people. Some of you are raising your hands. I'm going to say, why don't you come on up here and I'll sit down and you can preach the rest of the sermon. To someone who doesn't have a speaking gift, it would be like, oh no, no, please tell me to do, I'll do anything but that, right? Those of us who do have speaking gifts, we, we don't understand that. It, it doesn't make sense to us until you turn the tables. There are not only speaking gifts, but there are also serving gifts. Those with gifts like giving and leading and mercy and administration and helps. People who have speaking gifts say, oh man, whew, that, that's rough. I don't know how those people can, can exercise in, in such, their gifts in such a gracious way. And so what we need to understand is that the body of Christ works together harmoniously. Some of us have speaking gifts. Some of us have serving gifts. At the end of the day, we remember the meaning of our gifts. Number three, I want to encourage you to realize the purpose of your gift or your gifts your gift or gifts is designed in short to manifest the power and the presence of Almighty God. And so your gift is teaching. Your gift is helps. Your gift is mercy. Your gift is, is administration. Your gift is giving. Whatever it is, that spiritual gift or those combination of spiritual gifts is designed not to prop you up and to have everyone say, Oh, what what an amazing giver she is. Oh what an amazing administrator he is. No, your gift or your giftedness that has been granted to you from the Holy Spirit is to magnify and exalt the precious name of Jesus and his gospel. Our spiritual gifts make God look good and glorious. One example is the apostle Paul who as we all know was an amazing teacher and amazing preacher. And here's what the Word of God says in Acts chapter 28. This is Paul's gift of preaching and teaching in action. It says, He lived there two whole years at his own expense, and he welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Paul was really, really good at what he did. What was his intention? His intention was wherever he was, whether he was in Galatia or Philippi or Rome or the big category or the big geographical area of Asia Minor, his goal was to exalt the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he did it via his teaching and preaching gift. Additionally, your gift is designed to strengthen and equip people in the body of Christ. Nothing makes me more happy in the local church than to see believers, especially new believers, growing in grace, learning about spiritual gifts and exercising their spiritual gifts in the context of ministry. In 1 Corinthians 12, Paul says, To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Paul picks up this theme in Romans chapter 1, and he says to the church at Rome, For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you, that is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, by yours and mine. Some of us have had that interaction where you will encourage me with your spiritual giftedness. And I will encourage you with the gifts that God has sovereignly given me. But there's something I want to address when we tackle the topic of realizing the purpose of your spiritual gift. Some of you, I guaranteed, some of you are asking this question. Pastor, I, I don't know what my spiritual gift is. I get this question a lot. How, how do I know what my spiritual gift is? Here's the answer. The pastor probably doesn't know. He may know. He may have an inclination or one of your other friends, a, a Christ follower or a mother or a father or a, a spouse, may have an indication of what your spiritual gift or gifts are. But I want to give you five steps to think through if you're asking, I just don't know what my gift is. The first is pray. You might call these the five P's. The first is pray. And as I mentioned previously, you don't pray in order to receive a gift. Why? Because you were granted with the gift at the moment you became a Christian. And so your job isn't to pray for a specific gift. Your goal is to pray and ask God, God, would you reveal to me what is the spiritual gift or the spiritual gifts that you have granted to me when I became a Christian? Second, On the heels of prayer, pursue, pursue, and that is pursue ministry opportunities, pursue ministry opportunities. Sometimes you hear stories, you might call them war stories about people who try their hand at youth ministry, and they specifically want to become uh, helpers in the junior high department, and that lasts for about three weeks. Right? Have you ever heard those those stories? Well, that person learned really quick that youth ministry wasn't their bag. They didn't look forward to going. They didn't look forward to, to 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 being together. They didn't look forward to the administration that was involved. They didn't look forward to the teaching. It was a drag on them. But what happens? You plug them into children's ministry? Oh man. They're in heaven. That's where they feel they're a part. That's where they they feel like they're exercising the gifts that God has given them. And so one way to determine your gift is really through the process of elimination. If you serve in a ministry and you say, "I, I just don't find joy, I don't find contentment, I don't find peace, I don't enjoy doing it. The positive thing would be then... To move to an area of ministry where you experience joy and where your passion and your contentedness can shine. And that leads to the third area, and that is passion. What is it that energizes you? What excites you? What, what, what gets you going? You know, every time when I, when I receive an email or a phone call from someone that says, Would you come and, and teach for a weekend at a men's retreat? Oh, that gets me going. Well, Why? Because that's what I like to do. That's what God has given me a passion to do. Every time I've been invited to the Republic of Belarus, there isn't a whole lot of prayer that's involved in deciding whether or not to go. It's sign me up. I'm ready. Right? Where some of you would say, oh, that's the last thing I'd want to do. I like working behind the scenes. Wonderful. That is wonderful. So the matter of passion. Then there's the matter of people. And that is seeking godly confirmation from people asking people how am i doing to get honest feedback to get honest criticism even to get honest critique and then finally the matter of practice once you've prayed and pursued and thought through your passion and asked the advice of people think about the matter of practice as you believe that god has gifted you with a certain spiritual gift begin to to build Begin to grow, read about your gift, study about that gift, practice your gift, participate in that gift, and watch God explode the opportunities in your life. Finally, as we conclude this first point concerning the sharing of our gifts, I want to remind you to rejoice in sharing your gift. When we faithfully, eagerly, and joyfully share the spiritual gifts that God has given, here's what happens. We show ourselves to be good stewards of God's varied grace. Look back at verse 10, and that's exactly what Peter says. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as stewards of God's varied grace. That word, varied grace is an interesting phrase that means the multicolored grace of God. When you use your gift of helps, when you use your gift of serving, when you use your gift of administration, when you use the spiritual gifts that God has given you, it it shows the multifaceted, amazing grace of the living God. And when God's grace spreads in the church, here's what happens it can't help but spread in the community. That is, when we exercise our gifts that God has given us here at Christ Fellowship, it can't help but bleed out into the community. And the people in, in Everson, in Sumas, and Nooksack, and Linden and Bellingham start to ask what's happening at that church across from the two gas stations? Something's happening because people exercise their spiritual gifts. Now, there are two consequences for failing to exercise your gift. I've already expressed in no uncertain times the disobedience involved as a consequence. But there are two other consequences if you fail to to share your gift. First, if you fail to share your gift, you miss out on a huge blessing. You see, what you'll learn when you share your spiritual gift or your spiritual gifts is that it becomes a blessing to you. It becomes a delight to you. I want you to, as a way of practical application, because I know exactly how the conversation will go. Tom Junkmus is sitting in the back row. You ask Tom what he thinks about his teaching ministry sometime. And make sure you have several minutes. For the answer, because Tom will explain to you how much he enjoys his teaching ministry. There's a second consequence not only will you miss out on a huge blessing, the people of God will miss out on a huge blessing as well. So, number one, we share our gifts. Number two, you share your gift in God's strength. You share your gift in God's strength. Verse 11. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. That is, you share your gift in the strength that God supplies. I want you to see briefly two very important ministry keys. I want you to see first that we must rely exclusively on God in every ministry that we perform. As we plug into ministry and we utilize the the gifts that God has given us, as we share our gifts, we must rely on God for effective ministry. That is, all our ministry must be grounded in God and the gospel of Jesus. We must depend upon, as Peter says, the strength that God supplies. Now think about this. The same power that drew us to Christ the same power that delivered us from our sin the same power that rescued us from hell also empowers us for ministry on this campus in this community and all around the world and so we purpose in our hearts to rely on God for effective ministry second we not only rely on God for effective ministry, we also resist the temptation to minister in our own strength. And Paul talked about this in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. You remember he said, I am crucified with Christ. It is no longer I that lives, but Christ that lives within me. The life I live in this body, I live by faith in Christ who dwells within me. And so any ministry that depends on the flesh, any ministry that depends on me 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 simply will not be effective. There are three broad consequences now for serving in our own strength, for serving in the flesh, and here's the big one is when we serve in the flesh our pride is put on display for the whole world to see. I'm so good at this particular activity. I'm so good at this ministry. When I serve in the flesh, we tell the world, I want people to see me and not Jesus. Second leads from the first is we turn the spotlight on ourselves. When we serve in the flesh, we turn the spotlight on ourselves. And as a result, the third consequence is we fail to honor the living God. Think about that. Here you are in the context of a church family, desiring to share your gift as we looked at in the first point. But then you you share that gift in your own strength, not in the strength that God supplies. And even though you began with the proper motivation, you end having yourself to be placed on the pedestal. You are exalted and Jesus fails to be glorified. There's a third thing I want you to see. We not only share our gifts, and we share our gifts and the strength that God provides, but finally we share our gifts for God's glory. We share our gifts for God's glory. And this is what I like to refer to as the summit, the summit, the, the peak, the apex of 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 10 and 11. Notice in verse 11, once again, whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies. And I want you to notice three little teeny tiny words, in order that. Now normally when you do Bible study, you would come across those three very seemingly insignificant words. And we need to remember there are no insignificant words in sacred scripture, right? Right? in order that in greek it's called the hena clause and i remember when i first began to learn about the hena clause I, oh great another another greek uh, bit of terminology i need to learn the hena clause h i n a oh boy when i study scripture and i run across the hena clause if i'm slouched over in my chair you know have you ever been there you get to the hena clause you go oh boy what's coming right Because the Hena Clause is what we refer to as a purpose clause. This is the purpose. What is the purpose of verse 10? To share our gift. Second, to share our gift and the strength that God supplies. Well, the Hena Clause answers it. In order that... In everything, remember, this is the summit. In everything, God may be glorified through Christ Jesus. To Him belong glory and dominion forever. And so disciples share their gifts. They share their gifts in the strength that God supplies for this sole purpose. It's not to be noticed. It's not so that people talk about how great you are. It's not so that people can see your progress and your spiritual gift. It's not so that you make the nightly news. It's not so that you are on the cover of Christianity today. It's not so that your friends and family will say what a great person you are. The reason we do it. The Hena Clause explains it. It's for this purpose that in everything God may be glorified through Christ Jesus. And I want to ask you, by way of personal challenge, when you hear that, deep down in your heart, do you say to yourself, Yes, that's what I want? Do you know that's the heart cry of every Christ follower? I want to glorify Jesus. Therefore, it's time for me to get busy and share my gift. To do it in the strength that is is given me from a sovereign God. And to do it so that he would look glorious to people at Christ Fellowship. So that Jesus would look glorious in Whatcom County. So that Jesus would look glorious in all the nations of the earth. You see, when we expect praise for our service... God is not glorified. When we expect anything in return for our service, God is not glorified. However, when the body of Christ is encouraged and strengthened and edified and nurtured and equipped, God is greatly glorified. When we share our God-given gifts, we redistribute. The grace of God, which means that he is greatly glorified here and all around the world. You see the truth point on the screen that disciples of Jesus Christ serve one another. And I'm going to take a drink of water and give you a big challenge. So while I'm taking this drink of water, I want you to think about here it comes. The challenge is coming because you're going to like it. I think. I want to challenge each and every one of you, every boy, every girl, every young person, every man, and every woman, to consider taking this challenge. I want you to think about what it would mean to offer two hours a week of service. Now, some of you, some of you are already doing this, some of you are doing four hours, six hours, eight hours, ten hours. Uh, you don't even want to know what Carmel does. Right? Off the charts. All right? We're not talking about 10, 20, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80 hours. Here's the challenge. What would happen if every single one of us said, God, I'm, I'm going to give two hours a week to share my spiritual gift and the strength that God supplies. Now, you all know I'm not a math wizard. But I do know... I do know that over the course of 90 days, if 120 people took that challenge, that would be 2,880 hours of service on this campus and in this community. Did you hear that? For 90 days, if you give two hours to serve in the strength that God supplies that if 120 people of uh, 120 of us did that that in 90 days time the net result would be 2880 hours of service at this church and in the community you know what that means to me that's a revolution think of it that's a revolution because on this campus god would be Greatly glorified. God's people would be encouraged, equipped, and edified. And God's people would be emboldened and empowered to serve. Then think about in the community. In the community, the needs of people would be met. Lives would be changed. People would be encouraged. People would meet Jesus. Sins would be forgiven. The gospel would move forward. And people would begin to say, what's happening at Christ Fellowship? Man, people, people at that church are rolling up their sleeves. People at that church are making a difference in the community. I remember a book I read years ago that said this. It still continues to haunt me. Are you ready? You're not going to like it. (laughs) If we closed our doors this Thursday, would anyone notice? That one really grabbed me. If this church closed... This Thursday, would the people in the gas station even notice? Would the people in our neighborhood even notice? Would Everson and Nooksack, would they know that we closed our doors? We need to be the kind of church that if we closed our doors, there would be a town meeting. What are we going to do? Christ's fellowship is gone. That's the kind of church that we need to be, where, where people are encouraged by our friendship, that people are encouraged by our ministry, that are encouraged by the good deeds that we perform for the glory of God. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. The question this morning that we need to come to terms with is, are you committed to joyfully serving one another? We began the message this morning with a, with an encouragement, I want to close on a similar line of thought. If you're here and you're already serving, keep up the good work. Know, as First Corinthians 15 says, that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. We so appreciate your time, your effort, as you serve and you labor and you Roll up your sleeves. If you're here this morning you say, Pastor, I'll I'll be honest, I'm not doing a whole lot or I'm not doing anything at all. What I want you to hear from this pulpit this morning is not a scolding. This is not a scolding. This is a, a plea for you. Because I know and those of us who are serving that when you roll up your sleeves and get involved, that you will experience a joy you've never known before. A contentment you've never known before. And also, you, you'll know that you're obeying the Lord Jesus Christ. You're submitting to Jesus by, by plugging in and not hoarding your spiritual gifts anymore. Rather, you're utilizing your spiritual gifts. So, Steve Nims. Where's Steve? Did he take off? He left. Okay. Most of you know Steve. If you don't know Steve, you need to get to know Steve. Steve is going to be the main point person. If you're here and say, all right, I'm ready to do it. I'm ready to roll up my sleeves. Steve is the guy to talk to. He will help plug you in. He will help plug you in. There are elders and myself. We can assist as well, but Steve will be the main point person. Am I ready to plug in as a disciple who joyfully serves one another? I want to allow this truth to, to resonate and to rest with you just for one moment. And then we'll pray together. Uh, God, you have uh, uniquely gifted uh, many people here in the sanctuary. And God, I know that many are already uh, joyfully serving one another, and for for that kind of a person, may they receive encouragement. May they be um, emboldened today to continue to exercise the gift that you have graciously given. May they continue to use it in the strength that, that you provide so that Jesus would be glorified in this place and in this community. For those who have yet to to plug in and to... Uh, exercise and to share the gift that you have given or the gifts that you have given. I pray that today would be, um, you might say, a a kick in the seat of the pants, a gentle nudge, and so that in the future there would be service that uh, joyfully reflects what you have given. God, I can only imagine what uh, this church family would be like if we all plugged in, if we all contributed. I think of the model of every member ministry, where every member contributes. May we be that kind of a church. May we not minister out of guilt or out of a sense of shame, but rather out of a sense of joy, knowing that we have special gifts that have been granted to us sovereignly by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now our task is to share those gifts to share them in the strength that God supplies so that Jesus would be exalted and glorified in this place. We look forward to good things to come in the future. Many people who, hear, who will hear the good news about Jesus. Many people who will walk away from addiction. Many people who will walk away from a sinful lifestyle. Many people who will begin to, to walk in a way that pleases the great and glorious God. Lord, we ask that you would be merciful to us, that you would equip us to do these things all for your name's sake. Amen.